walked up here for us and you guys because we love to go to the Lord in prayer too much. Heavenly Father, I thank you for you, the guys in base camp, the guys online that are getting prepared um, for their day today. I ask a blessing, special blessing on them, special blessing on Derek as he brings uh, your word and we'll hear about you as we'll hear in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Derek. All right. Well, look at this. No cane this morning. Talking about healing. Can you believe it? Wow. Well, uh, man, I love you guys, and uh, I figured I'd share with you my favorite pandemic. And I'm sure you all have a favorite pandemic, right? Uh, you know, so mine is uh, in uh, 649, or I'm sorry, AD 249 to 262. It was called the, the Cyprian's Plague. And it wasn't because Cyprian caused it. It was because he was the bishop in Rome. And during that time, there were like 5,000 people that were dying every day. Bodies lined up in the streets. Every, it was every man for himself. And this was something that the Christian church actually uh, took an interest in. So everyone was fleeing the city except the Christians. And in a sermon that uh, St. Cyprian gave, he wrote, Embrace the benefit of the occasion. So they stayed in the city, and they began caring for the sick. And as they cared for the sick, often those sick people would get well, but the Christian who was taking care of them, by all their hard work, uh, the sickness would be transferred to them, and they would end up dying. They obeyed God, and they suffered terrible deaths. However, this built the church. You know, the, the blood of the saints is the seed of the church. So they expressed their faith by trusting in God as the ultimate healer. Well, in your handouts, you're going to have some blanks to fill out if you want to keep along with me. Um, we have to ask ourselves, what do we expect when we encounter sickness? And there are four prevailing views in the world. One is the self-transcendent view that says, think differently. In other words, mind over matter. The second one is the moralistic view, which says live differently. In other words, you, you reap what you sow. What comes around goes around. Number three is the fatalistic view, which says you just got to embrace your destiny. You know, life stinks, and then you die. However, there's the dualistic view, which says you must hope in the future. And that is the Christian view, the dualistic view, because sickness should not be a surprise to us because we are in bodies of death. As I look out, I see a lot of people that are dying in this audience, and that is true. The Greek philosopher, Cicero, he said that the main task of philosophy is to teach us how to face death. So your heart your mind, your body, your soul, they're all interconnected. And Tim Keller put it uh, this way when uh, encountering worldviews. He said, Christianity teaches that contra-fatalism, suffering is overwhelming. Contra-Buddhism, suffering is real. Contra-karma, suffering is unfair. Contra-secularism, suffering is meaningful. Buddhism says accept it. Karma says pay for it. Fatalism says heroically endure it. Secularism says avoid it or fix it. You see, we all have a choice. We either embrace the love of God and endure through him and believe that everything he guarantees us is a promise. 
that Jesus is fundamentally better than the absolute best thing the world has to offer, bar none. So there are two traps that people fall into. One is the presumption that God cannot heal. And, you know, that's a deistic view. The second one is that God must heal. And that's a sensationalist view, that God must do what I say. C.S. Lewis wrote it like this. He said, men have to be knocked silly before they come to their senses. Only torture will bring the truth. Isn't that true? You know, after 9-11, I remember George W. Bush saying, adversity introduces us to ourselves. So we're going to look at three things when we're looking at Jehovah Rapha in Exodus chapter 15. We're going to see the present need of healing, the predicament of never healing, and the purpose of never healing. So let's get started with one, the present of needing healing. So the Jewish Exodus from Egypt had just occurred. You see, they were they fled Egypt and they were being pursued by the Egyptian army. And then God rescued them. There was no military expert that could ever have planned this. There was no strategy that could have done this. They saw the terrifying power of the Almighty God who does exactly what he wants 100% of the time. So the water was separated. Every Jew was, was saved. Every Jew saw the miracle, and every Egyptian perished. And then Miriam, remember she sang, um, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and the rider have been thrown into the sea. So then they were on a three-day journey after that major water miracle, but they had no fresh water to drink. And so they began complaining. You see, they were in the wilderness. And we, we have to be careful that it's not wilderness like we think of enchanted forest. This was the desert where there, it was dusty and barren and dry. And if you didn't plan for this or there wasn't divine intervention, you would die. So uh, they found a body of water. And it looked like it would satisfy their every need. And they came to it, and it was putrid, and it was bitter. You know, uh, sin often does this to us. It promises us satisfaction, but it leaves us hollow and empty in the end. So I had to ask you guys, where in the Bible did God ever say that we would always have food and water? You know, were there no Christians in history that died of hunger or thirst or were drowned? I mean, we and the Israelites are sometimes petulant little children. You know, we have so many first world problems. So the Israelites, they uh, came to the place and they called it Mara, which means bitterness. You know, there's other times in the Bible that this is used. Uh, the one that I uh, always turn to is in Ruth, where... Naomi and her family fled, Egypt, fled to uh, Moab from Israel because there was a famine. And they get there, and Naomi's husband and her two sons become sick or starving, and they die. Don't you think that she prayed to God for deliverance at that time? However, God was silent. And then when she left Moab with no sons, no husband, no land, no money, no chance of survival. She came back home, and people said, Naomi, you're home. And she said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, because God has made my life bitter. He has done this to me. 
She said, I can't, I left full and I've come back empty. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune on me. She became bitter with God and she blamed him. And, you know, she left there not with just issues. She had baggage. <laughs> she had a lot of baggage with God. And she had a lot of bitterness. So there's a great tension in the scriptures between the now and the hereafter. A soul that longs for God as the only healer knows they know this, that they will only be truly well in the hereafter. That soul is able to trust in God for all he is. That soul, they find treasure in the field, like Jesus said, and for joy over it, they bought the field. They sold everything they have, and they bought the field because they found that treasure. So we can either blame God or we can bless God. You know, everything we have in this life short of total annihilation is a blessing from God. Who are we to presume upon God? But we need healing, and we need it sometimes now. This is what A.W. Tozer said. He said, God cannot use a man or woman greatly until he has hurt them deeply. Think about that. So number two, the predicament of never healing. You know, I'm always going to walk with a limp. The doctor said no running. You know, apart from a divine um, healing, I am always going to have problems with both of my knees. And what this has taught me <laughs> uh, as an avid runner and, and, you know, someone who liked to think of themselves as an athlete, um, I've learned that I must place my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. But in the book of James, you know, we see that James said, if any one of you are sick, they should go to the elders and they should place their hands on them and anoint them with oil and they will be healed. So does God still heal miraculously? Or has he ceased to do this? I mean, is there a cessation of all healing? Are we really placing limits on God in that way? You know, sometimes people come in and it baffles the surgeons why that person was healed. They can't explain it. There's, there's no explanation. Many claim to have that special ability, and may, maybe some people do, but others claim that God will never heal, that God just doesn't do that anymore. And there's extremes on either side, um, and one extreme will lead you to, like, the narcissism of Jim Jones, and the other will lead you to the atheism of a Richard Dawkins. And he wrote this. He said, the universe that we observe has precisely the properties that we should expect there is. At the bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. Uh, James Baldwin in uh, Giovanni's room, he wrote this. He said, you think your pain and your heartbreak are unprecedented in the history of the world, but then you read. It was in books that taught me that the things that tormented me the most are the things that connect me to every one that is alive, that has ever been alive. You see, pain is a loophole. It, it's something we all have in common. We all have pain and sickness and sorrow. You know, we connect with each other uh, on an emotional and almost spiritual level when we connect with people's pain. Um, you know, God can lead us to an absolute deeper relationship with him when we trust that he is our only healer. You know, Proverbs 18.23 said, a poor person utters pleadings, but a rich person answers defiantly. 
Now, this, this is something for the men's group. I wouldn't say this in a mixed audience, maybe, but uh, Virginia Stem Owens, um, an author, wrote this. Let us get one thing straight. God can do anything he damn well pleases, including damn well. And if it pleases him to damn, then it is done ipso facto well. God's activity is what it is. There isn't anything else. Without it, there would be no being, including human beings, presuming to judge the creator of everything that is. <laughs> That's pretty, pretty blunt, isn't it? <laughs> so there are there some bad examples and some good examples in the Bible. Elisha, when he was walking, um, there were some children who recognized his male pattern baldness, and they said, get out of here, baldy. Go up, old bald head. And he cursed them in the name of the Lord, and two bears came out of the woods and devoured all 42 of the kids. Bad example of uh, <laughs> being bitter about your male pattern baldness. And then we have a good example like Paul. He said that my pain is a messenger of Satan. He asked the Lord three times to take away his pain, whatever it was, and God uh, was silent in that. But he said that God told him, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is in your weakness. And he said, most gladly then will I boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So Viktor Frankl was a psychologist who was in Auschwitz-Birkenau during the uh, World War II. And he, he noted that there were as many times that someone would just give up hope. And once they gave up hope, they would quickly die. And th there were other people who held out hope that God was going to rescue them, that God was in charge, that God was the champion of their lives, and they would somehow endure through some of the toughest of times. And he said this. He said, when we are no longer able to change our situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. So in our, our key text, we see that Moses threw a tree into the water, and the water became sweet. You know, it wasn't the tree's healing power. There was no chemical reaction. It was miracle through tree. So as you see in verse 25 of our text, uh, the Lord issued a ruling, and he said this. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees— I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. So let's see, number three, the purpose of never healing. So there was a provision of sweet water, and it was a lesson for Israel. It wasn't about quenching their thirst. You know, it was to drive them to a deeper dependence on God, giving us this day our daily bread. So did you notice in the passage that uh, God's response amidst all this mistrust of all this complaining was a miraculous intervention? That, my friends, is what we call grace. You know, God giving us something that we don't deserve. And, you know, God always has grace for the guilty and mercy for the miserable. And he's there for you. So the last verse in our text provides a glimpse of how abundantly God prepares um, our paths. So he said, then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palms, and they camped there near the water. 
So God provided an amazing oasis for them. And we see this poetically represented in Psalms 81, where God said, if my people would but listen to me, I would subdue their enemies. And listen to this. He said, and you would be fed with the finest of wheat, and I will give you honey from a rock. Honey from a rock. God promises us that he will heal every hurt within our soul. Honey from a rock is an absolute miracle that only God can do. And that was what God was saying to the Israelites and to us. So at the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus said in a very loud voice, he said, uh, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow within them. So, you know, on August 22nd, um, a tree got the better of me. And as I lay under that tree and realizing that at least one of my femurs was broken, I thought it was both, I began army crawling, and I made it about five feet, and I realized there's no way in the world I'm going to make it to the house. And I just did what any one of us would do. I screamed at the top of my lungs, help, help. <laughs> and my little uh, seven-year-old boy came out and got mama, and then the, everything happened from there. But, you know, faith is like that. You know, we're stuck. <laughs> we're never, ever going to heal apart from God's help. I mean, as, as we depend on God, it's like we're building a dam. You ever seen a beaver where the more they build, the more territory they control? You know, faith is like that. The more we trust in God, the greater our ability to overcome sin and temptation and hurt. And the, the more ability we have to overcome our own inadequacies, the bigger that dam is and the more our faith is. So I've got to ask myself as I'm doing this and... Like I said last time, I always have to ask myself questions when I look at Scripture. You know, who do I think I am? You know, do I think myself better than Jesus? Who in Philippians, you know, said he made himself nothing in taking on the form of a servant. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You know, I was under a tree. And as I thought about this, you know, Jesus was on a tree for me. So Isaiah said, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He was despised and rejected, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took on our infirmities and carried our sorrows. By his stripes, we are healed. So through Christ, the absolute bitterness of life, the bitterness of Mara, can be turned into a life-sustaining source of all that is good and holy. Like the woman at the well, Jesus said, I'm going to give you water that you will never thirst again. So here is the promise of Jehovah Rapha, that Jesus, through him, all of our sickness, all of our sin, all of our life, can be put in him, and eternally we will be healed. See, the aged become ageless. The temporary becomes eternal. The bitterness of life comes, and I was thinking of the song, in the sweet by and by, we will meet on that beautiful shore. Bad singer, good song. <laughs> you know, and if Jesus is your greatest treasure, 
all of your existence for now and forevermore, you will not worry. You will not worry about the sniffles. You won't worry about COVID-19. You won't worry when the doctor says the three fatal words, you have cancer. What does it matter? Heads I win, tails you lose. You know, don't live like a deist and believe that God exists, but he has no interaction in your life. God does exist. He wants to be absolutely central to your life. So through Jehovah Rapha, the immortal became mortal. The sinless became sin for you. The indestructible came to ruins. The immutable suffered mutation. He became mortal, vulnerable, killable for you so that you could have healing, so that you could have what the scripture says, all things. Jehovah Rapha is the Lord who heals. And as we close and we get into some discussion questions, um, I'd just like to offer this verse as a prayer as we close. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening.